University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkland. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. Amen. Truly, I thank God for this opportunity to be amongst you guys. And Tripp, I love them. I like these folks. Amen. Um, as I was sitting there thinking about is getting ready to come up here and share the word of God. What an amazing God we serve. How can we not lose our minds for Jesus? How can we not be radical about an eternal God who so loved us that he gave himself for us? That can never get old of me. And for me, it's a lot more personal because I often wonder, how could God take a juvenile delinquent, bitter, broken, scarred, angry, violent, and touch him with his spirit and then say, go and preach the gospel? That's the God we serve. As Tripp was talking about um, a little bit about myself, I am from New Orleans, of Louis New Orleans, Louisiana. I'm from an area called Carrollton. Um, if you've ever rode the street, who's ever ridden a streetcar? You was in my neighborhood. That's where I'm from, right up in there. Not on Carrollton and St. Charles now, but the back parts. Uh, wasn't that fortunate, but that's the area by which I'm from. And so, um, in the early 90s, um, just got into some really, really bad stuff at the age of 14. I mean, just some horrible, 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 horrible stuff. And at the age of 16, I find myself uh, turning myself in uh, for a first-degree murder. And at that point, inside of... Uh, the juvenile detention center, it was probably the best night of sleep I had gotten in like three years because I realized I was caught. I, was, I deserved to be punished. I deserved whatever the laws had set up, and I was at peace with whatever happened. I took ownership. And I made no excuse other than I made some poor, horrible decisions. Horrible decisions. But in April of 2001, after being convicted, after receiving a life sentence without the possibility of parole, I met a man by the name of Jesus. And that man invaded my cell and radically radically knocked me off my horse, transformed my life, and here I am. What happened? His name is Jesus. This morning, I want to talk to you from the topic of the king's perspective. The king's perspective. And for our theme, it's going to be seen through the eyes of our king. 
One of the biggest misconceptions that we wrestle with as being born-again believers is that we forget that we are in the kingdom of God. We forget about that. We come to church, we pray, we have Bible studies, but we fail to be reminded that we are citizens of the kingdom of God, and we have a king. And oftentimes, this is so important because we have what I call a dual citizenship. We're in the world, but we're not supposed to be of the world. Meaning that we are called to walk a different way. We are called to talk a different way. We are called to see a different way. In fact, we are supposed to do exactly what the king does. Meaning that our first responsibility is to honor the king. And the king's word is the Bible. And in our text this morning, we are going to pick up from Acts, the ninth chapter, verses 10 through 17. I want to provide you guys with a historical background. Very familiar past the scripture. We know that Saul at this time was actually on a mission to stop what he called the way. What we are now considered as Christians, they was calling the way. And so what happened was Saul uh, was a Pharisee, you know, Saul was the man. Saul was on a mission to basically stop the way. And so what he did was, it was a process that he had to go through. So he appealed to the high priest and letting the high priest know that, hey, we have this situation going amongst the Jews, and if we don't stop it, it's going to really mess some stuff up. And so they gave Saul permission to go ahead on and take care of business. And so Saul was on a mission to stop the move of Christ. While he was on that mission, the Bible says he was on the road to Damascus, and all of a sudden the Bible says he was knocked off his horse, and the Bible says he was blinded, and he heard a voice. He said, Lord, who art thou? He said, I am Jesus. Why you persecute me? The Bible said that only he heard the voice. Then he walked around blind. And so now we're going to get back to this account, and we're going to start from verse 10. And in verse 10, and there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. His name means God has given. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. Verse 11, and the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for, and, call for, and call Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he praying, he's praying, and have seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Verse 13, then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he have done to, the, to thy saints at Jerusalem. Verse 14, and here he have authority from the chief priest to bind all that come on thy name. Wow. We have Ananias has heard about Saul. And he was accurate in what he heard about Saul. 
He had got this information probably from other disciples and other Christians who had said, man, this guy Saul is bad. He on a mission. Don't, you don't want to get caught slipping around him. And so he had heard exactly what Saul. So his perspective was that Saul was the enemy. How many of us at some point because of something somebody told us, because of what we perceive, what we may assume, what we taste, what we look, and we look at something and say, no good. We've all done it. Every last one of us at some point, and especially now that we're born again, right? Because we know in the church, we pretty much know that there's two views. There's secular humanism, and that's what we call the biblical worldview. And when it comes down to us, the body of Christ, either you have a biblical worldview or you have a secular humanistic worldview. And that's the definition of secular humanism with regard in particular to the belief that humanity is capable of morally and self-fulfillment without belief in God. That's what secular humanism. So that's a worldview. Biblical worldview. Can I get it? Also called a Christian worldview is built upon the framework of ideas and beliefs through which a Christian individual or group interprets the world and interacts with the word. That's our worldview. Basically putting it, we see the world through the Bible, through the lens of the king, but do we really? Do we really have the king's perspective? Or do we have a religious perspective? Ouch. And as I was getting ready and I was thinking about this particular passage, I, I was wrestling because a lot of times we can walk with God so much and so well that we believe that we have God figured out. That we don't even have to go and pray anymore. We don't have to look in the word anymore. Immediately, this guy, this person, no good. This person, no good. This person, don't trust him. This person, get rid of him. But have we really got the king's perspective? Could you imagine at this time Ananias was looking at Saul from his own eyes and not the eyes of the king? And as being citizens of the kingdom of God, our responsibility is to see life through the eyes of the king. I don't have an opinion, but what thus said the Lord, it's simple. But we forget. And so Ananias found himself in this position. And I was like, wait a minute, Ananias, you just had said, Lord, here am I. But as soon as he started talking about Saul, Lord, he and I went out the window. He basically was saying, I ain't going that way. I'm not touching them. And how many times God has impressed it upon our heart to do something, but because of our perception, what we perceive, our perspective, ah, ah, I'm not going to do that. Ah. I'm not, and so what happens, we give up, and I'm going to tell you what we do, and, and I'm going to tell you, and this is a big problem in all of our church. You ready for this? We miss the move of God. We miss the move of God, and we wonder why there's a struggle to get people to want to come and hear what thus said the Lord, because people are not seeing the thumbprint and the hand of God in the earth for him. 
Why? Because we refuse to say, King, let me see what you see so I can move as you move. And I promise you, I guarantee you, that, that there's somebody right now that, that, that we are, are ready to basically throw in the casket, basically dig up the dirt, and say it's over for them. Right now. Right now, there's, and, and, and here's the craziest part. I, I, and the reason why this is so dear to me, because I, I remember my own family basically did that to me. There's no help for George. None. And I must say, at that time, their perspective was right. But their perspective doesn't count. The only perspective counted is the king's because he is the author and the finisher of my fate. He's omnipotent. He has all power. He's omniscient. He's all known. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. So what they couldn't see in the early 90s, God saw in 2001 and moving forward. He saw it. He saw it. And so no matter what people spoke to me, and I'm, can I tell you what's so difficult about my life was, no one had ever spoken life into my life. No one had never said, George, you have value. George, you have purpose. George, you, everybody told me what I couldn't do. George, don't do this. George, don't do this. Look, George, don't do this. No one never said, hey, George, you're smart. Man, you know what, George? Man, you could dribble that ball pretty good. But the whole time, the king had a plan for my life. So I just want to give this question right quick. What is, what is it right now that you're looking at the wrong way? Think about it. Maybe there's a son or a daughter that's been in rehab after rehab. Maybe there's a son or a daughter that's in trouble. Maybe there's a brother or sister that just, just can't get it. And you guys have met on them and just basically said, uh, get out. And that boot didn't, maybe didn't come from the king. Maybe the king is saying, one more time. So let's, let's go back and look at verse 15. But the Lord said unto him, God thy way, for he is a chosen, go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. How could he be a vessel of honor when he watched Jesus die? Saul was on the scene of the crime. The biggest crime ever committed, Saul was right there. He saw it. So how could this man be a vessel of honor and he's going to do what? Wait a minute, hold on. You, 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 wait a minute. He is going to be a vessel of honor and bear your name to who? The Gentiles? Wait a minute, kings in Israel. If I would have been Ananias, I probably would have said, Really? Come on. But then he goes on. Look what God says. He said, I will show him 
how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Verse 17, now look, and Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, wait a minute, he called him Brother Saul. You know why? Because he had the king's perspective. Basically, he agreed with the God. He agreed with God. And this, this is our responsibility. Don't agree with me. Let's agree with him. He agreed with the king. And so he went from being a foe to basically saying, Brother Saul. He ain't say enemy Saul. He ain't just say Saul. He basically embraced him because of what the king showed him. And he says, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, have sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And thereafter, the Bible said that scales fell off of Saul's eyes. And all of a sudden, he was able to see. You know what I paid attention to? Saul had one problem. People think Saul was just this criminal. Saul wasn't a criminal. Saul was a devout Jew. Saul thought he was doing the very will of God. Saul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He sat at the feet of Gamilah. He was probably going to be in line one day to potentially be a high priest. Saul loved God. According to the law, he was blameless. Whatever the law stated, Saul honored it. But one thing Saul had, he had a sin problem. It wasn't the fact that his heart was in the right place. He just didn't have the king's perspective. And so many of us, our hearts in the right place, we just don't have the king's perspective. And it's amazing that Tripp brought up a, a good point when he was talking about when Pastor Moore was going through what he had to go through. And immediately, when, when, when I was going to share with these folks, I looked at them. And immediately, I saw nothing but value. I saw nothing but potential. And I said, God, within this uh, a congregation, there has to be somebody that, that, that's going to that, get off drugs, somebody that's going to just say, you know what, I'm tired of prostituting. Somebody's going to say, I'm tired. I am ready to give my life to Jesus. But if you look at, wait a minute, these people smell. These people have mental health issues. These people love to get high. These people have little to nothing. And if you just look at them from that standpoint, you would never go to open their ministries. You wouldn't give a cent to open their ministries. But if you go check with the king, if you just go check with the king, and say, King, what is your perspective on these people? King, what is your perspective on North Baton Rouge? King, what is your perspective on this? And for me personally, I could never get the big head. 
George, don't ever forget where you came from. It was me. It was me. It was all of me. It was all 100% of me. Remove me from your life. You are nothing. Remove Christ from our lives. We are nothing. So when I gave this sermon title, The King's Perspective, I, I really want the church to come back to a place where she has a slice of humble pie. And, and, and it's great to, to get consulting work from this person and this person's an expert. That, that's beautiful. But before you go and do that, you better go check with the king. Don't waste your money. Because I'm telling you, I ain't had a sinful, an attorney, or nothing. The only thing I had was the king's perspective. You could not outbeat me with the ability to connect with the king. Nobody there tell you could nobody. Literally, I would be in the dome on my knees in a posture of worship on side of my bed. True story. In front of everybody. You know why? I don't want to know what the state of Louisiana say about my situation. I need to hear from the king. Because I understand that, that and, and it's crazy when God was telling me about the appellate system, right? He was telling me, oh, you got, you got to go to district court, then you got to full circle, then Louisiana Supreme Court. Then I sat back and thought about it. I said, what if I just appeal to the highest court in the, in the land? I'm just going to talk to the king about the situation. Because I am a citizen of the kingdom of God. And so we all understand being a citizen of the United States of America, we are entitled to certain rights. Being entitled to certain rights, if those rights are violated, you can appeal to a court and they say, wait a minute, ma'am, sir, you have a claim because you belong to this particular country. So being a citizen of the kingdom of God, we have access to our king. And what our king says is always right. And you know what I love about our king? His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. It's just totally different because what we'll say nothing, the king will say something, and what we'll say something, the king will say nothing. So I've learned no different when he asks Ezekiel in the 37th chapter, he says, son of man, can these dead bones live? Ezekiel is like, Lord, you know. He, he was like, you know, got me too many times. I'm going to just let you do your thing. And, and, and the Bible says that, boom, and he, he answered it for him. And see, that's why I've gotten to a place. Lord, you know. Lord, you know. And I'm telling you something. Can I tell you what a, one of my perspectives that the king is showing me? I'm going I'm to let y'all in on something. What if I told you that I'm crazy enough to believe that the city of Baton Rouge could be on the verge of revival. What if I told you that the city of Baton Rouge could be on the verge because of the body of Christ, because you guys are amazing. You guys are amazing. Whether you are Baptist, Methodist, whatever, you guys are amazing group of believers. Love you so much. Nothing but warm welcomes, nothing but I mean, it's amazing the people I meet that love Jesus. And so I'm like, man, we are right here. But Lord, give us your perspective, King. 
If we get the king's perspective and he gives us the blueprint and then we carry it out, we will get the king's results. But if we refuse to tap into the king's perspective, we'll find ourselves playing church. Can I tell y'all something? When I got saved, I got saved April 23rd, 2001. I started going to church. And I still remember I would always sit on the first pew because I wanted to learn. And one day in 2002, it came to my mind. I said, man, I just don't want to sit on no pew. I don't want to be no just sit on a pew and amen, people. I love being the guy, amen, amen, praise the Lord. Thank you. I mean, I love being that person, the amen, to inspire, to encourage, to preach. I love that. But I just simply one night said, if you don't show me who I am and what I'm supposed to do, just take me. I, I, I don't want to just go to church. You, I know you saved me for a purpose. Show me my purpose. And immediately, I, I just kept seeing this guy who was preaching and teaching the gospel. And I was like, oh my God, preaching. Oh no, maybe do, making a coffee, maybe mopping the floor, maybe, you know, I mean, maybe dabbing, you know, sweating, wiping the sweat off the pastor's head or something, going and bring him a bottle of water. I used to love the guy who bring the bottle of water to pastor. I always wanted that job. I'm serious. That guy, that guy always was cool, like just come and hit pastor and, and everything. The pastor said, thank you. I like, man, give me that job right there. Let me be the water boy in the church. The king spoke something to me and showed me something that nobody else had showed me. And what I've learned is when the king's perspective enters this earth realm through a dream, through a vision, through a prophetic word, it often makes us scratch our head. It, it makes us look at something differently. But the king's perspective is not really a perspective. Do you know what it really is? It's reality. See, there are two realms, right? There is the heavenly, the spiritual realm, and the natural realm. And sometimes because we eat, taste, smell, we, we really believe this is the real realm. But this is not really the real realm, although it's a real realm. The real realm is the spiritual realm because everything in the natural realm is birthed from the spiritual realm. Boy, y'all missed that. Y'all missed that. The, listen to me good. The spiritual realm is the real realm because as soon as we take off of these old tents, the spiritual realm, which has always been in existence, is where we're going to be. So that is the real realm. This one day will be consumed and no more. And that by which is real will remain. So I have learned to take my stock out of this realm and appeal to the kingdom of God and ask the king to give me his perspective and not man's perspective. In my prayer all day, if you don't send me, I don't want to go. If you don't bring that person into my life, I don't want them. Take out of my life what you have not ordained and bring into my life trials, tribulations, People, headaches, 
pain, give it to me because I know that is your will for my life. But in the church, I'm going to tell you what we have gotten. Y'all ready for this? And I'm, I'm, I'm talking to me first. We have gotten so familiar with God that it's a routine. You know the routine? I'll read my three-minute devotion, on the, my five-minute devotion on the way to work this morning. And I mean, you know, you have a systematic plan. Nothing wrong with having a plan. But, but be enough sensitive to the, to the spirit of God that, that maybe that person, when you're going to the mall or going to make groceries, how many times have the Lord put a person on your heart to witness to? And you know what we did? We was afraid. We was ashamed. And man, I'm going to tell you, coming home and living in this world, do you know who's not ashamed? The devil is not ashamed. And I'm telling you, as born-again believers, we got to get radical for Jesus. I'm talking about we got to get so radical for Jesus to where we are not afraid to say his name in public settings. His name is Jesus. The son of the, he's the son of the living God. He died. He lived the perfect life. He was buried, and he was rose on the third day with all power and glory, and he ascended, and guess what? He's coming back. I hope you got your life right. I remember before I, I, I went to prison, I would always see on newspaper stands, try Jesus. Try Jesus. I would always see, and it seemed like the same person had written it. And I would always see this. And Jesus is still the answer for our problem, our, our substance abuse issues. It, Jesus is still the answer. And if we can just spend time with the king and get the king's perspective, man, we'll get the king's results. How many of us want the king's results? I, I, the, the king, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I want the king to invade and get into my life and take over. I, I don't want to just simply be sitting in the pew doing nothing and coming to church to check off a box. Oh, I went to church this morning. When I was pastoring in prison, I would always tell those guys, if this is a, 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 box, a, a box for you to check in the morning, don't come to church. I don't want you here. If this is something you are, well, I went to church, check. No. You come to church to receive marching orders to be built up, edified, and then go and honor the king. To be reminded, to be stirred up, to be inspired, and then go out there and represent the king in his kingdom. That's why we come here, to be reminded. As I get ready to close, Saul went on to basically making reference, I believe it's in 2 Corinthians, he said, I labored more than all the apostles. He said, not I, but the grace of God waxed exceedingly towards me. Basically saying, God just gifted me to push a little bit more harder. So this guy in whom Ananias questioned at one time, but he became obedient because he got the king's perspective, the apostle questioned at one time, but he became obedient because he got the king's perspective, the Apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of our New Testament. Two-thirds. There's not another human being that gave more to the gospel. Of course, we're not talking with, with the exception of Jesus. 
than the Apostle Paul. And when you really learn more about the Apostle Paul, he was a devout Jew, but yet he was a Roman citizen. And then when you read the book of Acts, his Roman, citizen, Roman citizenship played a part in him furthering the gospel. I said, oh my God, so God, you allowed him to become a Roman citizen for such a, you used that to your glory. Man, praise God. When you sat back and you realized how well he understood the law, he knew the law so well, so when God gave him the perspective on who Jesus is, he was able to take Romans and just go ahead on and take that law from Abraham into Adam and take that thing and just breathe the Spirit of God upon it. And voila, we have all these great epistles inspired by the Spirit of God. But all that came because somebody was obedient to the king's perspective. There's one more verse of Scripture I'm going to expose us to as I wrap up. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 6 through 7. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eli and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is up before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. That account comes from Saul, I mean Samuel being in a position to actually to go and anoint God's chosen king. And because he had anointed Saul, and Saul was the tallest, Saul had these big broad shoulders. He was looking in them what he saw in him. But the king had changed the narrative. He said, no, I'm not looking for another Saul. I'm not looking for King Saul. I'm actually looking for the little Rudy boy. The little, the little boy who, who's, a, who's hurting the sheep right now. The little boy who basically is going to play the harp. The little boy who is just simply always off into something. The little boy who actually killed a, a bear in a line with the slingshot. The little boy who, who basically loved his job and was obedient to his father. That's my king. And here it was, Samuel. And the reason why I wanted to use Samuel, because the Bible say none of his words ever fell to the ground. Samuel was a good old sweet boy. Samuel ain't did nothing wrong, but except for this account, he thought he had God figured out when it came down to his king. And our king rebuked him. And he said, I don't look and see how man sees. I see the heart. How many of us know we have to see the king's perspective and in order to see the king's results? Ananias almost had it wrong. Samuel almost had it wrong. But when the king gave them his perspective, they immediately got in line. So this morning, church, I just really wanted to remind us as we go out from day to day, and we think we have it figured out that we know what God is up to. Go check with the king. God bless y'all.